You've seen her comedy concerts in all the big cities, like Zorro, Ohio at the Elks Lodge, at bingo halls in Stockholm, Wisconsin, and working the retirement home in Louisiana, Missouri. And now you hear her thoughts on her No Reason podcast. Here's Nola J, the chocolate blonde, on the No Reason podcast. Welcome to the No Reason Podcast. I'm your host, Nola J, aka Chocolate Blonde. I hope everyone had a great week. I had a great week. It was pretty um, non-eventful. Um, this is part two of last week's podcast where I had my dad on, Kenny International Walker, reminiscing about two of his bandmates, musicians, and friends that have passed away um, in the last few months, um, James Ingram and Harvey Scales. So we're going to continue on with that and before we get started I have a brief little moment that of course my dad and I are discussing my favorite topic in sports the Milwaukee Bucks so we'll go ahead and um, get into all that for a few minutes and then we'll get back into him reminiscing about his bandmates and his friends the Bucks are going all the way we still number one uh, yeah the, I just NBA. watched and beat uh beat Golden State really bad. They just beat Minnesota really bad uh, yesterday. And and, and and what's his name wasn't even playing? The bearded man, uh, Harden. Oh, you talking about Houston? Houston, Houston, Golden State. Yeah, Houston beat Golden State yesterday. Oh, okay. Yeah, I was confused. I'm like, the Bucks played Minnesota yesterday. <laughs> yeah, well, the Bucks. yeah, they, they, they're supposed to win. Yeah, so what do you think? We're going to finally make it to the, the second round of the playoffs? Oh, we're going we're gonna to beat everybody in the East. We ain't got to – can't nobody no, beat us. We're going to the championship. We're going to the championship. Oh. Yeah. We're okay. going all the way. Okay. All right. I think we are too. I think we're going to the championship. Um, and we got a 50-50 chance of beating Golden State. Yeah, we do. Yeah, this is gonna be good. They keep sleeping the bucks. They won't talk about us. They're not bragging about us. They try to ignore us. Stephen A. Smith finally said something. He said, "Uh, the bucks is coming out of. I believe the bucks is coming out of the East, or or whatever conference. Who's in the championship? What do they? How do they do that? Uh, what do you mean? Uh, you mean who's gonna be the champs of the Eastern Division? Yeah, he said the bucks. That's a- he says it's probably going to be the Bucks. No, no kidding, Stephen. Of course it's going to be us. We beat, we killing everybody. Yeah, he's trying to get ahead. Of, you know, he always try to get ahead. He's looking at and going, "Ooh, wow, nobody's saying that." I'll say it now. Right. Do you think because LeBron is out of the Easter and that's why, or you think LeBron would have made no difference this in the Eastern Division? Oh no, he would have made no difference this year. <laughs> Who was he with? Cleveland? Nah, he he wouldn't have, he wouldn't have mattered. Toronto was the only one. Toronto and Boston, the only one that matters now. And we beat, we just beat Boston. Everybody's wondering if we're gonna come back off an All Star break and beat Boston. We beat Boston with no problem. Yeah, yeah that that was a close one. 
But that's how that's how it's gonna be for fighting for the Eastern Championship. Okay, that was our brief talk about the Milwaukee Bucks being champs in the Eastern uh, Division. I'm not quite sure what me and my dad was talking about. I don't think we was on the same page. I'm not quite sure what he was talking about, but hey, we got through it. The bottom line is the Bucks are the champs. Now let's continue on talking about James Ingram and Harvey Scales with Kenny International Walker. Oh, I'm sorry. Hello, is it somebody there? Hey, Pops, what's up? Hey, how you doing? I'm doing well. <laughs> Good. I was just playing over some scales. Oh, oh, of course you were. <laughs> yeah. Oh, so uh, what are you up to? I'm giving you a call so we can continue our talk about James Ingram and Harvey Scales. Oh yeah, sure. Yeah, good friends of mine. What did you What did you want to know? You were telling us about how James Ingram was in your band. So you could continue on about the band he was in that was yours. Oh, yeah. He was with us, a uh, band out of Milwaukee. We started off as a, the New Breed Band, Alan Butler and the New Breed Orchestra. That was our original name. We changed a different bag. We moved to Memphis. We were on Stacks. And then we moved to Los Angeles. And we were uh, getting ready to work on this movie score, Dolomite. Um, and we met James. Uh, he worked on it with us. He worked on half of it with his band. He came out of Akron, Ohio, with a group called uh, Revelation Funk. They did the half of the score, and we did the other half. I guess they broke up in... Um, James didn't really want to move back to Akron, Ohio. So he joined up with us, and he, he remained there in Los Angeles where he, he uh, eventually uh, met Quincy Jones, and it's all history from there, you know. Well, I got a quick question. First of all, what years was this that you are talking about? Uh, 1974 is when we ran into James. We left uh, here in 1970 in Milwaukee. We left Milwaukee in 1970, September, September in 1970. Somebody said, go west and, and seek your fame and fortune. So, well, we went south first. We went, to, we went to Stax, and Stax seemed to be going bankrupt by the time we left. So we said, well, somebody said, go west. So we went west. You so Stax, Back in the day, was a very popular record label. It was a good record label. Was it known before it went bankruptcy? Oh, Stax! You know, Stax was back in the in the sixties. That was uh, it was Stax and Motown. Those were the two. Actually, they were, those were the two black owned uh record uh, record companies. They don't call them major because you have to be capital or somebody to be major but 
they were called independent, but they were big. They were huge. Uh, stacks of Motown was huge. That's where you tried to go. Atlanta was all right. Uh, yeah, they were doing great. Then all of a sudden, boom, it, it, all of them went out of business. Motown, Stacks, Chess, uh, name it. it. The big companies got rid of all of them. Okay, so you but were it, on Stax Records and, and uh, James Ingram was on his own other label when you guys were doing a Dolomite soundtrack? Well, at that time, uh, nobody was under any label. Uh, we went to Los Angeles. We left Stax and went to Los Angeles, and he wasn't on any label. We were just doing the soundtrack okay. for Dolomite. Gotcha. And he was with you, know. you guys. How long was he with your band? From 1974 to... Oh, somewhere like uh, 76, um, somewhere in there, 76, early 77. Yeah, he was with us for quite a while. He started, actually, he started lead singing with us. Uh, he was a keyboard player, background singer uh, with, his, with, his, with his band. Yeah, he used to sing a song or two uh, per night, but uh, he didn't consider himself a singer he considered himself a keyboard player. And uh, he was a good keyboard player. And we were looking for a keyboard player and a singer at the same time, and he come along, he was perfect. You know, uh, I put him in my top three vocalists of all time. Top three of all time? Are of you all sure? time. Of all oh, time. James can sing anything. Yeah. How was his personality? Was he cool? Was he laid back? Was he angry? What type of person was he? I'm just curious <laughs> what type of person he was. He was he was uh he was pretty laid back. He had a way of saying things and doing things uh his way and and making it seem like it was your idea, you know. Oh, he was, okay. He was he was humble in the in a nice, arrogant little way. Or, in other words, James knew what he was doing, and uh, he didn't try to argue with you about nothing. He, he just uh, was. Pretty humble guy, but he, you know, he had a humble attitude, you know. But he wasn't, he wasn't, uh, you know. He wasn't a puppet or anything like that. He knew what he wanted to do, and he did it. And he was very talented, though. I mean, musically, he played uh, guitar, bass, drums. We did a gig one time in Canada. We got to the border, and a couple of members couldn't get in. The bass player and the trumpet player, they wouldn't let them in. And uh, so we did went to the gig and said, wow, what are we going to do? And, you know, James was with his humble self, uh, I can play the bass. And we look at him like, oh, yeah, but you got to sing. He said, I can do that, too. We did the whole gig, two weeks. Uh, no, actually, we did uh, about six weeks because we left there and went to another couple other places. So we did, I don't know, a few weeks up there. He played the bass and sang all his parts, all his songs, just like he wasn't even playing, you know. And, well, what uh, type honestly, of music was y'all? Was this original uh, music? We, we played uh, the regular top 40 uh, disco type music, 70s music. 
You know, everything, all the latest hits. We was a cover band. You know, Stevie Wonder, Ohio Players, Cool in the Gang, uh, you know, that type of stuff. He could sing Stevie Wonder stuff better than Stevie Wonder. Oh, wow. So that's, I was about to ask you, what's the best cover that he's done for you guys? That one of the best covers that he was singing? Oh, that's hard. They're all good. Uh, superstition, you know. He did. So he did all. all of it. So all Stevie Yeah, Wonder. that's what Stevie. See, at, he he came with us at a perfect time. Uh, we are having some technical difficulties, so we are going to take a break with our sponsor, and we'll be right back. When I was trying to get this podcast off the ground, I had a lot of questions, like how do I record an episode? How to get my show into all the apps people like to listen to? How do I make money from this podcast? The answer to every one of these questions is really simple. Anchor. Anchor is the one-stop shop for recording, hosting your podcast. Best of all, it's 100% free, and it's ridiculously easy to use. Even my chocolate blind self can use it. And now Anchor can match you with great sponsors who want to advertise on your podcast. That means you can get paid to podcast right away. In fact, that's what I'm doing right now by reading this ad. I, um... I love it. It's simple. You know, I'm an airhead. So I just put things together, has all the tools you need. I can distribute this to all kind of platforms. I'm on Spotify, iTunes, Google Play, wherever you listen to your podcast, you can have your podcast there. So if you always wanted to start your podcast and make money doing it, go to anchor.fm slash start. To join me and the diverse community of podcasters already using Anchor. That's anchor.fm slash start. I can't wait to hear your podcast. <laughs> oh, yeah. All right. So, yeah, that was, uh, that's, we learned something about him. You know, when we record, when he records, he plays a lot of the instruments on his own tracks. You know. Well, he did back there. You know, we did back then. We didn't all have a lot of money, so you did what you had to do. Uh, but I'm sure after his career got started with Quincy Jones, uh, he probably didn't even play the piano on his own songs. When did he meet Quincy Jones, and how did he meet Quincy Jones? Well, James really, really didn't like traveling. He liked uh, recording, so he started uh, working for a production company and. They would make demos and send them out. And uh, one of the demos went to Quincy Jones. And uh, he was singing on it. He started really singing. After he, after he finished with us, he, he realized that he was a, really a singer. And uh, so he would sing on, he would play and sing on, on the demos. And uh, Quincy Jones heard just once in a thousand ways, a hundred ways, uh, one of those songs on a dude album. And he told the, uh, but producer, he said, uh, the song is okay, uh, but I'll, I'll put it on the album if you bring me the guy who's singing it. He's got to sing it. And they brought in James, introduced him to James, and uh, then he, he did a couple of songs of hers, the producer, and he ended up being the dude on the dude album. And uh, he, he recorded with he recorded James. He didn't even know James played piano for a long time. 
Wow. And that's where things took off for him. Oh, yeah. The dude won so many Grammys, he broke broke record. At that time, it was the record for Grammy Awards in one year. James had Grammys and didn't even have a, his own stuff out yet. He started off with uh, Grammys. He later on did I'm Gonna Be There. Uh, he wrote that. It, for him and Michael McDonald sang it. And uh, he did. He wrote PYT for Michael Jackson. Um, he did a lot of things. All right. Well, Dude, did, you got a, any road stories about him? Like anything? You do crazy on the road? You got any stories? Or some oh, boy, or some wild stuff? Can you give me yeah. some dirt? Well, something? I can't give you nothing, but I got a lot of stories. Yeah. Can you give me one that you can speak of that was something y'all mm. did crazy? Something y'all did do crazy? I don't know anything. Well, I remember one time we were we were uh, going to a, a photo session. We had a we, we were going to uh, uh, take some photos, and we were all dressed up in our in our way out costumes, and we were driving. You know, we had a couple of cars, a van, and, and our cameraman. We were on our way to the site. Then the police pulled us over. Uh, it was strange. They pulled us over. It was some. It was some black cops in a black. And they pulled us over for me looking too black. And so we got out. I mean, I, I guess we might have looked like pimps or something because I mean we were all flashy and glittered up and everything. And they actually, uh, the guy had us with our standing outside the cars and and he's searching the car and asking us where we going, what we doing. And uh, my brother, he was the band leader. He said, uh, man, what, you, you can't do this. And the guy pulled his gun out and said, look, if somebody talk to him, I'll shoot him. And then our photographer was over there taking pictures of it. Wow. And he looked over at, at the photographer. He said, who is that? And, and James is the one who said, that's our publicity agent. <laughs> got in their cars and, and, and left. It got in their cars and took off. We got pictures of it. You well, somebody pictures? has. Pictures. Well, you don't know where they at. <laughs> you don't know where the pictures are at, do you? Huh? You don't know where the pictures are at, do you? Uh, somebody. No, I'm not sure, but I think I had them, but uh. I don't know where they went. Somebody in the band might have those pictures. Uh, we got pictures of, uh, yeah, because they took a picture. He, uh, Jackie had a beer can in his car. He put the beer can on top of the car. He said, take a picture of that. Then they get, then they got in the cars and left. But that, that cameraman scared him. And Jane, when James said that's our publicity agent, that's, that scared him away because he was taking pictures of the whole thing. And we actually wasn't doing anything. We were, we were on our way. They just pulled us over on Crenshaw yeah. in a gas station. Now this yeah. is the 70s, right? Like 75, 76? 74, 75. Yeah. Well, they still do that. Well, my other thing about James Ingram, they're going to wrap this up on him. Um, he did play keyboards for Ray Charles before he was famous. Well, he didn't actually play keyboards for Ray Charles on stage. He played. Uh, he he was he worked for Ray Charles Production Company. That was the product. That was one of the production companies he worked for. Ray Charles had his own 
production company. Okay. And uh, he had a studio, and he would record, uh, you know, songs for Ray Charles' company. I don't think that's the company he he submitted uh, the song that he got with Quincy Jones with. I think he might have switched companies. But, uh, yeah, he invited. In fact, uh, I played on some of the stuff that he, he recorded in his studio. I met Ray Charles. Ray Charles would walk in the studio like he could see because he knew it was his studio. So he knew where everything was. So he just walk in and start talking, go behind the board, sit down and play with the buttons and stuff. And I was like, wow, can he? he, he I think he, I think Ray Charles can see. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. Yeah, that's uh, that's where he, that's he didn't actually play on stage with him. Uh, okay, so he played, in... played. You know, Rich Charles played piano. He didn't need anybody else playing with him. You know. Well, that was in one of his credits, so I just brought it up, and it said that he played keyboards for Ray Charles. You just clarified that he just played for one of his production companies, but he did have interaction with Ray Charles because you got to see Ray Charles as well. well you know, I, I I've been watching. My good friend Harvey Skills and, and another good friend of mine that passed recently, and I'm looking at the news and their bios. It, you know, they're not accurate. I don't know who gives them all this information, but, you know, it's not that accurate. Like, even James in his resume, his bio, I'm, the band that, that, that connected him staying in Los Angeles until he met Quincy Jones and Ray Charles, we're not even mentioned, you know. Yeah, you're not uh, mentioning James because, Ingram's uh, Wikipedia page either. No, not at all. And and we're 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 the ones who told James he was a singer and made him sing. We didn't make him sing, but we said, "Hey, you're the singer. You're the lead singer." Right. And uh, he said, "No, I'm not." And we, we said, "Yes, you are." And then after you heard us sing, he said, "Okay, I am." So that was sarcasm. That was a uh, humor in there. Hello. Oh, oh yeah, I'm here. I'm here. I'm here. Yep, that was funny. Yeah. Okay. statement, though. You said, "Yeah, I didn't think I sung that good either." Then I heard you guys singing, and then I thought maybe I am a pretty good singer. And he sang, and we did a whole album. We got a whole album on James, uh, un unreleased material on James. You know, because he, he was in the band, so and he was singing lead, and uh, yeah, some good stuff. That's why I say he's my number one singer because I I heard what he can really do. He really stretched out a, a cover band because, uh, like I've always said, a cover band is better than a a star because a cover band can sing. Uh, James, for instance, he could sing everybody's song, every hit that came out. We did all the hits. And every one, he could sing them. Whereas you take uh, 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 Keith Sweat or uh, any other guys, they sing their stuff perfectly. But let the, let's, let Keith Sweat sing Stevie Wonder or let Stevie Wonder try to do Barry White. I mean, you know, cover well, I band. Got, I got a question about the cover band then. Okay. Let's say Keith Sweat doesn't mm -hmm. want to sing Stevie Wonder and all that. What are the benefits of being a cover band and singing other people's music? Do you become successful? What does it lead for you being a cover band? Is it, it means that you're working and you're making money 
until you can be do your own like James. He he made a living in a cover in cover bands until he got a chance to do something different. You know. What it means is you're not you're not working at a job and not honing your craft. Because as a cover band, you're you're getting better and better and better and better all the time. So whenever you do whatever it is you want to do, you want to record. Even if you record, like 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 uh, American Idol. Okay, they go up there, they get a record deal, they make all this money, but they go on stage. They're amateurs. They haven't they haven't done it. The first thing they did was get famous, you know. So a cover band is not. It may not be your your ultimate goal, but that's what makes you the best. That just keeps you uh, fresh, updated, keeping you in shape. This is like a, a basketball player. Right. You could you could you could sit around and wait for the big contract. You get the big contract, you go out there, and and the, and the worst player on the team will run you raggedy. Right. Because you've been sitting around on the bench waiting. Well, nowadays, you know, it's about being famous first and then your craft. So it's a little backwards right. nowadays. So now you have to gain all these with social media and everything else. You gain all your followers, your people, your liking, you become famous. And then you have to show your skills, which is backfiring on a lot of people because then they get exposed. A lot of people get disappointed when they see their idols go out there because they're, they're amateurs. Right. You know, Glassstein, the Pips, James Brown, the OJs, all these people, they they performed for 10 years before they made it. And so when they made it, that's why they was they, they had staying power. That's why you went to see you went to see them. They didn't even have to have a song out. You go see them because they show fantastic. You know, I can take Turner. They 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 worked. You know, they didn't have a lot of big hits, but you can't, you went to see them. They made their money live. You don't have to make you don't have to make a dime on your records. Uh, you could you make your money live. Back in those days, you made more money performing than you did on a record. And record now it's the give you all your- now it's the opposite. Everybody has to go on tour because the record sales, there's no, re- there's all the streaming and everything else that's going on. People are not buying yeah. records like that. So they have to go on tour. They have right. to. And that's, it's a little different from back in the day where they're making other money from the records. Now they have to make money on these tours or break even or something. All right. Well, let's move on to um, Harvey Scales. Now, I know you said the news and all that have been having it wrong. So I'm going to go ahead and read what the Milwaukee Journal has written about Harvey Scales. And then we can talk from there. Harvey Scales, this is the um, headline, Milwaukee's Godfather of Soul, writer of the hit Disco Lady, has died at 77. And then it says Harvey Scales was dubbed Milwaukee's Godfather of Soul and across a six-decade career he lived up to the title. The singer played swinging gigs with his band, The Seven Sounds, well into the 70s, including a Summerfest show as recent as 2017. He co-wrote the 1976 platinum hit, Disco Lady, for Johnny Taylor, and had another hit, Love Itis, covered by the Jay Giles Band. He did work for the legendary soul labels, Chess Records, and Stack Records, and was even sampled by the Beastie Boys. 
Scale 77 died Monday afternoon in Milwaukee Hospital after first becoming ill in December with kidney failure and pneumonia. Based in Atlanta, Scales was in Milwaukee for medical reason and was able to spend the last weeks visiting uh, family and friends. And then um, they go on to talk about uh, his son, talks about his, his music. Um, Harvey was born in Arkansas in 1941. And he went to North Division, that's what they said, and Roosevelt Middle School. And I believe Harvey is the, I, I might get this wrong. Didn't he, isn't he the first to own his, um, help me with this. do not he own his, something with Disco Lady. Is there something like he made a, a, a you gotta help me with this, man. Something with Disco Lady. <laughs> well, Disco Lady was the first certified Platinum 45 in history. That's yeah, the only thing are... first about that. He, I don't think Harvey was the first owner of anything else. Ray Charles was the first owner of his own masters. Uh, so I don't know what that could mean. Okay, well, I'll, I'll keep digging and figure it out. But you can tell me what you know about Harvey. Is that pretty much true, or did they get something wrong? That was a good write-up there. That All that was pretty accurate there. That's the most accurate one I've heard. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay, this is it. Okay, this says the first song certified as platinum by the Recording Industry Association of America. So you were right. That's what that was, I guess, in 1976. Right. And you mentioned Stax Records, which you was just talking about. And they talked about Chess Records, which you were talking about earlier. And weren't you part of the Seven Sounds? Yeah, not the original Seven Sounds, but yeah, I played with Harvey at Seven Sounds. He had he had uh, new Seven Sounds mixed in with old players, original Seven Sounds. Uh, in fact, my band right now, I, I have a Rudy Jacobs on guitar. He's original Seven Sounds. Okay. So yeah. how did you meet Harvey? Where did you guys meet? How did this start? Oh, I've met him at one of his gigs. Uh, oh, we in fact, we did a gig together back when uh, we were in. Uh, it was a club here called The Turning Point, and uh, it was brand new. It was state of the art. They had lights coming, receding into the ceiling. That was new. Beams was shooting off, down off on the 20, floor. Off of 20th and Father Light. Off, off, right there on Pondelac. Um, That's tw about twentieth and Pondelac in that area. Okay, go ahead. Yeah, and uh, and we were the hottest team band. Uh, I guess we might have even been out of high school, just out of high school, and they were the they were the hot Seven Sounds, Harvey and the Seven Sounds. They were just the hottest band in the Midwest, They're actually in the country. And uh, so we opened, we opened uh, Turning Point. We might have been the second act there, but it was somewhere in the beginning. First or second act, Satin Dow, Milwaukee's own Satin Dow from the uh, Duke Ellington Orchestra and uh, Cricket. Uh, they were the MCs and, and uh, you know, of the show. And that's when I actually, I guess, met Harvey. I might have, no, nah, I probably knew him before then. I can't remember. I was, I was a teenager when I met Harvey. Do you remember what year this was? 
as a turning point. That should have been 60, probably 68. 68. Six, no, okay. no, maybe 69. 69, I think it was. 69 or 70, somewhere in there. 69. 68 or 69. Not too good with memories on times. Yeah, you got. But I need you to give some years so, we, so people get a gist of, you know, what era was, we talking about? It had to be. Well, let me see. Was I still in high school? I think it was sixty nine. Oh Lord Jesus! <laughs> you, have, you ain't got <laughs> everything happened in sixty nine. Okay, cool. We just go with sixty. We'll go with sixty nine. Cool. And then, yeah, well, let's say sixty nine. Cool. Just check the archives and find out when Turning Point opened. Yeah, I'll, yeah. I'll, I'll I'll do some fact checking and I'll get it all together once we get done with yeah, this. Okay. Yeah, so we, we we're gonna go with sixty nine. Okay. Nine. Yeah. Well, I played with Harvey up in Oakland. You know, uh, in the seventies. After the after uh, the man I was with broke up, the the, the different bag broke up in seventy around seventy seven. Uh, I moved up to Oakland. Me and uh, one of the new breed, Ivan Howard, trumpet player, we moved up to Oakland and joined his band. In fact, he sent for us, uh, Impulse AD. He had a band called Impulse AD. We ended up with five horns, and uh, it was, oh, man, that band was hot. We was in Oakland. That's when he was riding uh, on those big checks from uh, Disco Lady. Oh, okay. And uh, he had a production company called... Um, uh, can't think of it right now, but he had a big, he had a nice big office and uh, rehe rehearsal room, and we would rehearse and rehearse and rehearse until we got really, really tight. When first show was uh, we opened for uh, Ray Charles in Stockton, and we were so good, Ray Charles got mad. Oh, oh yeah, we we. It was kicking because we could dance. We danced like the like the new breed and a different band. We could dance like them and, and play. And the guys in the band could sing. He had a seven sound in the band. What original seven sound? Ben Petrie played with us, and uh, you know he could really sing. And Jeff Williams, who actually was not original seven sound, but he was the first one to replace the first guy who left with Stonewall. The drummer left them in the seventies and, and Jeff took over and he was in the band and uh, it was great. We had a good time. We, uh, Oakland, we, we was uh, the talk of the town in Oakland. And, uh, and then after that, uh, I moved back down to Los Angeles, but uh, that was a great time. It sounds like it. You keep talking about it. Are you going to give us yeah. an insight? As I said, it was just a great time in Oakland. It's a great time. Well, that's when he thats when he recorded his... He had Harvey had two albums out. Under, that's when he was super, super hot. So it was like he was at the peak of his that career. Was, that was the name of the last album, Hot Foot. <laughs> yeah, he was hot. Harvey yeah. moved around a lot like he had hot feet, you know. Country. And, uh, yeah, he was he was he was a maniac on stage. He was like uh, one guy described it in a write up, a maniac in constant motion, and it was perfect. Harvey was a maniac in constant motion. Now that was one show. 
when I was coming up, I didn't know these artists, you know, these these older rhythm and blues people, OJs and all that. I didn't know them. But I would go to the show because Harvey and them was on the show. If okay. Harvey Harvey and the Seven Sounds was on the show. It was worth my two dollars. I knew I was gonna get my two dollars worth. It was really two dollars back then. Well, sometimes it was a dollar fifty. Okay, it, it was a lot of money back then. <laughs> okay, I'll take your I, word for it. <laughs> yeah, you get a card of cigarettes for for uh, for, for three dollars. Uh, gas was thirty cent. Uh, that was a lot of money. You know, so. So I got to see all these artists and uh and hiring them, they would smoke all of them. There's only a few that they didn't just uh, run off the stage, and that's James Brown, Temptations, uh uh, uh I Turner, the old Jays, and probably only a couple more. The rest of them were like, I'm glad Harvinium was here, you know, and they were stars. So when did you hook? When did you link back up with Harvey? So you was with Harvey in Oakland, and you were back to Los Angeles. And this, I'm saying, this is probably the late seventies, right? Yeah, that was the late seventies. I went back to uh, after Oakland. I went back to L.A. in, in, in about eighty, eighty one, and uh, eighty one, in fact. And I hooked up back with Harvey when I came. I would come to Milwaukee and visit. I was playing with Little Richard. And if you play with Little Richard, it doesn't matter where you live. So in the summertime, I would come here sometimes and meet my son here in summer, his summer vacation. We would kick it here in Milwaukee, but I would still go out and play with Richard. And while I was in town, I would play with Harvey. And then uh, when I finally moved back here in, in the uh, early 2000s, mid 2000s, uh, Started whenever he, he lived in Atlanta, and every time every time he would come here, I would play with him summer fest and and then, you know some nice gigs he he right. would do, and um. In fact, we did a, his last gig here. Uh, uh, we backed him up at the uh, at uh, Betty and Elsie's uh retirement and and a birthday party uh from the Red. The famous red on Holton. Well, hold on. I remember when I met Harvey was it was two thousand and five, I believe. That's when I met him through you, of course. And I had my open mic downtown, and we went around the corner, and that's when Arliss had uh, a bar, and Harvey was there. And that's the, I think that's probably the first time I had interaction with him. So that was about fourteen years ago. That's two thousand and six. Or thirteen years ago or so, and um, yeah. and I just remember he was a character. He was fun. I mean, um, I mean, big personality. But... Yeah, Harvey was. He was a self promoter. I remember one time uh, he was in L.A. and uh, usually when he came to L.A., he stayed with me, and so we were going. We were going out to hear this band play, and. And we were driving, driving down the street, and uh, it was in Linwood somewhere, and I was kind of, kind of lost. Okay, I was lost, and so I realized I was going the wrong way, 
So at the after the when the light changed, I kind of got in the left lane a little bit. So when the light changed, I made a U-turn right in front of the police. But I didn't think they would stop me because, you know, I wasn't quite in the left lane, but I blocked it so nobody could get, you know, through right. there. I made a U-turn right in front of the police because you know, they thought it was all right. Of course. They, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right away the light came on. <laughs> and then and, and and disco lady came on the radio at the same time. So we pull over, one cop's on one side, one cop's on the other side. The cops asking me to to uh for my registration. I'm going in the glove compartment. The other cop cop, she's got the gun at Harvey's head saying, Don't move, don't move. And uh, Harvey looked at me and said, she said, don't move. That's the first time Harvey ever, ever, ever uh, hollered or was, saw him angry. He said, she said, don't move. And I looked around. She had a gun at his head. The other cop, he was freaked out, too. Like, well, what's going on? Well, it was a, it was a, uh, my 45 magazine had slipped from under the, uh, under the uh, seat. Now I didn't have the, I didn't have my gun in the car. I just had the, the magazine in there, right? And, uh, so they panicked. They took us outside, handcuffed us, and 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 and, and all the time I was going, "Hey, that's me on the radio. That's me. I wrote that song. That's this collect. <laughs> that's Harvey." And, uh, and, and, and so after they couldn't find, and they looked all through the car, looked everything, they couldn't find us. So they gave me a ticket for. Uh, uh, illegal uh, turning turning uh, left in the wrong lane or something. We're driving. I said, "Oh man, I can't believe it. That was unbelievable." He said, "I know. I can't believe it either." And he said, "They didn't know Tisco Lady." <laughs> <laughs> that that's Harvey in a nutshell, right? It's all about Harvey. <laughs> We driving the thing, and I'm thinking about all this man. We could have got a head blowed off, and Harvey's going, "Yeah, that's unbelievable." She didn't know who I was. <laughs> that's good old Harvey. But I enjoyed always going to Summerfest to see you play with him. Um, it's always a good time. The last time at Summerfest, I believe, was the fiftieth in 2017. Wasn't that the last yeah. time? Yep, was the last time. That's he when that had, old man got up there and started twerking. I don't know who that old man was. That was Tommy Causey. That was uh, his brother-in-law. He he played trumpet with us in, in the in the band up in Oakland. Everybody in the band was walking. But uh, yeah. But you know that was the fiftieth uh summer fest, and Hobby wasn't scheduled to play because he played the year before that. And they only let him. They only want him every other year for some reason. That, but he had to go to go to Lena Taylor's office and have them call and, and request him to play. And Lena Taylor yeah. is one of our what, politicians or lawyers. She's a lawyer now, but she used to be one of our city politicians. She's senator Lena Taylor. She's, she's a senator now. She's our senator. Oh, yeah. I didn't know that. I thought she was one, and then she became a lawyer. But I don't know. I'm not. I don't obviously don't keep up. Yeah, yeah. But she's the one who got Harvey. Um, see, Harvey did the original Summerfest, 
and for them not to let him participate in the the 50th was kind of Milwaukee-ish, you know. Yeah. So she and um and we we did that. Um, of course they I was supposed to play my band was supposed to play that year, so they just canceled me, you know. But I understood, you know. I didn't really understood. I, I didn't mind. I thought Harvey should be on there, but I didn't see why we both couldn't have been on there. I, I don't know. Summerfest is a. Uh, uh, I, I, we can cover that, that a different time. We can we can do that another time about Summerfest. But I know that was a really good show. I know that old man was twerking. That was embarrassing. I know that Harvey got some really really old groupies. I had a good time backstage <laughs> laughing at them, trying to get at him. <laughs> that was fun. Another time I remember at Summerfest was when we saw Bootsy Collins and. You, oh yeah, you opened up for Boosie Collins. It wasn't Harvey; it was your band, right? It was your band, Soulful, right? That's what I remember. That was that was Soulful band, and we used to back up Harvey. But yeah, we did that ourselves, and uh, Boosie, Boosie was late, so they kept telling us you got five more minutes. Every five minutes, they would tell us we had five more minutes. I so we that. just we had a. Back- <laughs> That was fun. We was backstage. I had a lot of fun with Star- uh, Harvey back there. But then the funny part is when once Bootsy got on, then we all sat in the front row, and then me and Harvey just kind of was kind of making fun of James Brown's wife. We weren't making fun of her. It's just she it, it was very she was very entertaining. That's all I can say. And that was like the last wasn't that James Brown's last wife? I think was it the uh, one he was currently married to? That's the one that uh is his wife now. Yeah, her. She's she's very um I don't know. Me and Harry was having a ball. That's all I could say. And I that had me cracking up. I always had a good time with him because he always had a good sense of humor and he he was just he was a cool dude. He's gonna be missed. Um so his, so his funeral, which I thought was this is pretty stretched out. Maybe you can explain it. He died February 11th, but his funeral was March 2nd. Well, a lot of people, a lot of people want to come from out of town and uh, overseas and everything. So they, they made it, uh, gave him time. So it's for the people overseas because us people in the States, I mean, that's a long, that's a long time, Pops. Come on, man. Well, they kept throwing body out for three years. And that's, okay, and that's and that's my point. I really so Harvey's Godfather in Milwaukee, so he at least gets two weeks. And I believe that Harvey purposely did this. He channeled this to somebody to do this so he can imitate James Brown, his idol, who he looks up to, who he tries to be. So he go wait a while too to get buried. Is that what he's trying to do? <laughs> I don't care. He's gonna outdo you. And Wilson Pickett. He did a show one time with Wilson Pickett. He, when he jumped on the chandeliers and swung off the stage, pulled him out of the out of the wall, burnt his hands. It was so hot. Wow. And uh, Wilson Pickett set the dressing room on fire. He <laughs> thought it was Harvey's clothes, but it was Esquire's clothes. <laughs> the famous Esquire's was on the show. It was Esquire's Harvey's. And Wilson Pickett, and he burnt the Esquire's clothes up. 
The Wilson Pickett did that. Because he was he, so he, mad at Harvey. Yeah, he was mad at Harvey. James Brown and them kicked him off the show. They couldn't. That's how we started opening for him. Because Monty, they, they, their uh, trumpet player, he could do the James Brown almost as good as James Brown. You could, would do, get James, you could do James Brown as good as James Brown. Not no, not no original, not no old James Brown. You ought to see his clips. James Brown couldn't nobody dance like that. He was he was a bad man. James Brown could do the James Brown. Uh, he was the man. James Brown was the original Michael Jackson and uh anybody you want to name. James Brown was tough. He anyway. He changed the he changed the music. He, he's like Little Richard, James Brown, Ray Charles, Sly and the Family Stone, Jimi Hendrix. These are these are people who who who, who changed made a change in the in when, the direction. Everything's going along and boom! Every once in a while, somebody takes it in a different direction. Innovators. These are innovators. Uh, the legends. Well, no, you could be a legend without being an innovator. Michael Jackson wasn't really a, a innovator. He was a legend. He he didn't really change uh, music. You know, he just made good music. Right. He was popular, you know. But, I mean, you know, his songs, there's nothing innovative about his, his song. He made, he made videos famous. He made short movies famous. Really, well, what Prince, he's famous Prince for. is a legend, and I love Prince. And Prince changed the music, and Prince learned a lot from James Brown. They yeah. all did, right? They all did. So did Michael. Uh, so, you know, they all learned from James. Uh, from from James. James Brown learned from Little Richard. James Brown used to impersonate Little Richard. Well, I think everybody learned from Little Richard. Yeah, well, Prince, well, Prince looked like Little Richard. You know, Michael you remember, looked like Little Richard. You remember it, that guy on Sunset Boulevard that could play either Prince or Little Richard, but Little Richard wanted him to play him? Do you know that guy who I'm talking about? We used to see him all the time on Sunset Boulevard, long, long time ago. He's not a comedian. He looked like Prince. He looked like Prince Rick and Rick James, to be honest. And it's a little bit of Little Richard. You don't remember him. I don't remember that. That that was no. That was a long time ago. I know your memory is rough. So we gonna wrap this up because you definitely gonna come back on and tell more of your story, especially of your own band, and of course your little Richard days. You spent about forty years with him, and then also we're gonna talk about at some point about Uncle Donnie's book, The Unknown Musician, which tells all these stories that you are kind of telling me and putting things together how you connected with all the legends and had some type of dealings with them or performing with them or they hung out in your band for a minute like James Ingram and then moved on you met a lot of people so tell, your audience, tell, your, tell your audience to, to read the book you know just get the book and read it you know it's all in the book you know it's uh, available on Amazon and Kindle called The Unknown Musician by Donald Walker. So, is there anything you want to say 
last words about Harvey before I get like your information or if people want to follow you or gigs and all that? Well, just go to KennyWalker.net and uh, or you can catch me on Facebook. Uh, and you know, I'm having a birthday party on March the 14th at the Red on Holton. <laughs> this, this is not just Milwaukee people. <laughs> Um, they can fly here. They can yeah, okay. fly here. <laughs> yeah, okay. And uh, Mitchell Field, it's not General Mitchell anymore. You're doing all these local references, and nobody don't have any idea what you're talking about. But I do have one more thing that I wanted you to do. Do you have any final words for Harvey? Because that, that was a good friend of yours. Do you have any final yeah. words, anything else you want to say about him? Before all I can say is, uh, it's not to me. I, I, it hasn't sunk in yet. It's it's still unreal, you know, because I used to talk to Harvey for hours. You know, we talked on the phone for hours. And uh, it's just uh, him him passing and James Ingram passing. Uh, I had a niece that passed. Uh, I had a, two, you know, a lot of people are passing, and it's just unreal. Harvey's hadn't set in yet, you know. I guess after the funeral, it might be more final but it's just you know i just wait for him to call me any minute you know right you and so you're going to be playing at the repass right everyone's coming together to play after yeah yeah i'll be there i'll be playing everybody in milwaukee will be there playing it's going to be huge you sound like number yeah. 45 when you said that it's going to be huge it's going to be huge <laughs> But they, I mean, but I, I'm really telling the truth. Yeah, that's the difference. Yeah, you definitely are telling the truth. It's going to be a big deal. Yeah, okay. it is. All right. Well, um, I think I covered as much as I could with Harvey. And you could be found on KennyWalker.net. Is that it? Yes. And that's then, it. And you Kenny Walker on Facebook. And then there's... Yes, I there's videos up of you playing the saxophone. You have any gigs coming up besides uh, Harvey's? I don't consider that a gig, but his repass. Um, well, the birthday party I'm going to play. Uh, my oh, your birthday party. Yeah, and then after that, you have to to be announced. Uh, I try not to do too much in the winter when it's snowing on the ground. Uh, and then, and by the way, ha have you talked to Little Richard recently? Is he okay? Is everything good with him? Is he up to anything? Yeah, you know about? Not nothing new. He's doing fine. He's in Nashville, and uh, everything is good. Yeah, you don't give much. I see. So, um, it was great for you to come on. <laughs> I appreciate. <laughs> I really appreciate you coming on and talking about your two good friends, <laughs> James Ingram and Harvey Scales. But they rest in heaven, and they were great musicians. And I appreciate you coming on. You have a great and wonderful evening. <laughs> and the next time you are, <laughs> oh <my God. laughs> Okay. All right. Thanks again, Kenny International. I'll talk to you later.
Well, that is the end of the episode. Thank you guys for listening. I know it was a little lengthy, but it was my pops, and he had some great stories to tell. I'll talk to you guys next week. I hope you guys have a great week. Um, I'm Nola J, a.k.a. Chocolate Blonde. Peace out. Want to see Nola J live? Here are Nola J's live show events. See Nola J Saturday, March 9th at the Benton Station Bar in Sauk Rapids, Minnesota. Call 320-253-2222 for reservations or go to BentonStationBar.com. March 13th through the 17th, see Nola J at the Stardome in Birmingham, Alabama. For tickets, call 205-444-0008 or go to Stardome.com. Don't miss the chocolate blonde, Nola J, when she comes to your area. Go to nolajcomedy.com. That's nolajcomedy.com. Tell a friend to download and subscribe to the No Reason Podcast with Nola J, the Chocolate Blonde. Go to the website, nolajcomedy.com. That's nolajcomedy.com.